Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to talk about the movie If You Could Only Cook from 1935. The studio was Columbia Pictures. The release date was December 30th, 1935. The running time is 72 minutes, and it's in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars, and his quick little synopsis is, Gene Arthur and Herbert Marshall are a superb team in this delightful comedy of a wealthy automobile tycoon and inventor and a penniless woman, who, for complex reasons, become a mobster's maid and butler. The film wrongly carried Frank Capra's name as director in many European prints as a fraudulent studio effort to exploit his massive popularity. So I first discovered If You Could Only Cook uh, through a great and very inexpensive four-movie DVD collection for like lesser-known screwball comedies from the 1930s. They're almost like B-pictures. And the film is actually very reminiscent to My Man Godfrey with William Powell, which is one of the better-known and well-regarded comedies from the early 1930s. If You Could Only Cook appealed to me for a few reasons. It's fast-paced and packed with a lot of fun, and Gene Arthur was one of the great comedians of early cinema. Plus, the film is just a bit longer than a typical TV show episode, so it goes by very quickly. And if you're going to invest your time in a movie you've never seen, sometimes short will be that impetus to get you to see it. And I realize that most people, when they first, if, you, if you're if you a loyal listener, you'll pretty much listen to anything that is published, and I really appreciate that. Uh, but the cool thing about that is you might discover movies you would never even dream of seeing. And, and that's, I think, uh, I get more uh, satisfaction out of that sometimes than the tried and true hits that everyone knows. Now, I love those movies as well. That's why I own them. But the lesser known ones that you know you, you discover through watching television or you just stumble upon, that's kind of fun as well. It's like discovering a band you had never heard. All right, let's get into the main cast. You get Herbert Marshall, who plays Jim Buchanan. And prior to becoming an actor, Marshall was in the British military during World War I, and he saw combat. He was actually shot in the leg and eventually had his right leg amputated. He eventually learned to walk with a prosthetic leg. And until doing research for this particular movie, I would have had no idea that he actually had a prosthetic leg. It's definitely not noticeable when you're watching the film. And now I want to watch the movie again to see if I can notice any sort of limp. Eventually, Marshall became a stage and radio actor in England before eventually starring in Hollywood films. During World War II, Marshall would visit wounded soldiers at military hospitals to share what he went through and to also uplift the spirits of the men who had just lost their limbs through battle, that they could still live a very productive and fulfilling life. Gene Arthur plays Joan Hawthorne, and as I mentioned before, Arthur was one of my favorite actresses of the 1930s and 40s, though her career actually started in the early 1920s during the silent era. Once she transitioned into talking films, it took a while before her career really took off. Her big break was signing with Columbia Pictures with a starring role with Edward G. Robinson in the 1935 comedy The Whole Town's Talking, which I do own as well. In 1935 alone, she starred in six films, wrapping up with If You Could Only Cook, and then the next year, she would be in one of her most well-known films, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town with Gary Cooper. Leo Carrillo plays Mike Rossini, and Carrillo started his career as a cartoonist for the San Francisco Examiner in the 1920s before going to Broadway. 
So on film and TV, he would mostly play supporting roles for the remainder of his career throughout the 1950s, much like his role in If You Could Only Cook. The director is William Sider, and Sider began directing short films and silent films starting in 1915, eventually becoming comedic director, including directing uh, Sons of the Desert featuring Laurel and Hardy. Sider continued to direct films through the mid-1950s before becoming mostly a television director for the rest of his career. Surprisingly enough, there is some interesting details about the making of this film, even though it's kind of a B-picture. Gene Arthur was on the verge of becoming a star, which would come a year after this film, and Frank Capra as Mr. Deeds goes to town. So in another Capra connection, Leonard Maltin kind of alluded to this earlier in his quick little review, but Columbia Pictures decided to pull some shenanigans with the name of Frank Capra. So when they were promoting Capra-esque films for the British markets, they would say these small pictures were Frank Capra productions, when in reality he had nothing to do with the films. If You Could Only Cook was one of those uh, misleading Frank Capra films. So Capra found out about the deception and was rightfully incensed, and then he filed a lawsuit due to Columbia's fraud, and eventually things were settled, and Capra's name was removed from all the films he had nothing to do with. However, since Columbia had an ironclad contract with Capra, he could not get out of his deal for six more years until his contract finally expired. Like Capra, Gene Arthur did not get along with the head of Columbia Pictures, Harry Cohn, whom she believed kept offering her terrible movies in which she repeatedly turned down. As retribution, Cohn loaned out Arthur to Warner Brothers for an unnamed project, but she turned that down as well. This was the days when the studios truly owned the actors and directors. Like Capra, Gene Arthur also wanted to leave Columbia, but she was under a long-term contract as well and had to stay with Columbia for another nine years. She did work for RKO and Paramount from time to time as loan outs from Columbia, and she did get better movie offers from Columbia, and she ended up working with top directors like Frank Capra, George Stevens, and Howard Hawks. All right, let's just get right into the movie. One of the best things about classic films are the lack of long initial credits. They're quick and to the point. And actually, back then, they used to list the stars before the film, almost like a TV intro. And this is probably where television eventually got this idea from. So the movie starts with a wedding rehearsal for Jim, that's Herbert Marshall, and his fiancée, Evelyn, that's played by Frida uh, Inzacourt. Jim seems distracted throughout the whole rehearsal, while Evelyn makes sure that he knows every minute detail possible. Evelyn is your stereotypical would-be aristocrat whose dream is to simply marry a wealthy man. Jim, of course, owns a very successful car company, but is more down-to-earth, much more than his snobbish fiancée. This almost seems like an arranged marriage of sorts. Evelyn has a family name, while Jim has the wealth. But Jim wants romance instead of a marriage that is more like a business arrangement. To further complicate matters, Jim is frustrated that the board members of his company is dead set against his new idea of manufacturing a very futuristic prototype of cars he designed himself. They want the status quo of maintaining their profits. Jim, on the other hand, sees the country starting to slowly creep out of the Great Depression and feels that the consumer would be interested in buying his new line of vehicles. Unfortunately, he's outvoted by the board. Jim then decides he wants a vacation, or at least some fresh air, and decides to walk in the park. And here is where he meets Joan, Gene Arthur, reading the want ads on a park bench. Jobs are hard to find, aren't they? Yeah. Well, you just have to keep reading the ads and hoping. Oh, would you care for help-wanted mail? Oh, thank you. 
Magifmancer? No, I was just wondering, what does passamentary workers mean? I'm not sure. I think it has something to do with beads. Then why don't they say beads? Oh, I don't know. Can you find anything? Oh, no, no. Nothing for my peculiar talents. How about that snappy opportunity for a young man with money to peddle an invention that does things that's never been done before? Where's that? Oh, it's there somewhere. It always is. Why do they put in ads that require money to invest? I'm afraid that's your question. But if you had any money, you... You wouldn't be reading the want ads. Mm. Oh, it's tough these days. About 200 people for every position. How long is it since you've been interviewed for a job? I can't remember. Mm. The only good ads are for couples. Here's one for cook and butler. Must be able to do housework. Attractive surroundings, servants' quarters over garage. Cook must be exceptional or don't bother to apply. Salary $175 a month for Zini Manor, Longhaven. $175? That's real money. Now, if you could only cook. Oh, I can cook. I'm a marvelous cook. Well, maybe there's an ad for a cook alone. I never thought of that. Well, better luck tomorrow. I've been saying that every day. Say, can you bottle? Well, I can say, very good, sir, and dinner is served, madam. You're swell. Why don't we answer this ad together? Huh? It could be done. Oh, how does it sound to you? Crazy. What is it, your pride? You know, you can't be choosy about a job. Do you think you're too good to wield a broom? Well, it's, it's a little different from what I've been doing. So what? Maybe it's the thing you're best fitted for. Don't you realize we can make this our lucky day? Lucky day, huh? Mister, I'm going to sell you this idea if we have to sit here all day. Because my landlady and I have just come to the parting of the ways and I don't feel like sleeping in the park tonight. Don't you realize? It's a meal ticket for both of us. If we landed this job, you'd feel differently about everything. You guarantee that? Absolutely. What do you say? Well... Now, you listen to me, mister. The worst thing in the world is to get where you close your mind to a new idea. Any man who's up against it and just sits back and does nothing and is afraid to try something new, why, he's better off dead. He is dead. He doesn't know enough to lie down. Jim and Joan bluff their way through the job interview. Joan is indeed a great cook and impresses Mike Rosini, that's Leo Carrillo, with her sauce, which does not include garlic thrown into the mix, but only wafted over the sauce before serving. Jim sounds like a butler, but does not have any references, so they claim they just arrived off a boat from England and lost all the references. Since this is a screwball comedy and Rosini loves Joan's sauce, they're hired. Rosini's handler is named Flash, played by Lionel Stander. He has your typical 1930s gangster type of tone. You know, kind of the, yeah, see? Place to put your clothes, bathroom, porch on the outside. Uh, is that the only bed? What's the matter with it? It's very comfortable. Soft, springy. Why, you even got the same mattress as we got in the main house. Here, Jamesy, you try it.
But, uh, but I thought the advertisement said servants' quarters, Mr. Flash. What? Quarters. Quarters. Well, these are them. What's wrong with them? You got Thursdays and every other Sunday off. We ain't eating in tonight, so you don't gotta make dinner. I hope you last longer than the others. Jim, of course, is infatuated with Joan's determination and can-do attitude. Since traditionally the butler and cook job goes to a husband and wife team, their quarters only has one bed, and they lied to Rosini and said that they were married. There is a couch in the room, which they move to the porch and flip a coin who will get the bed first, and they will rotate nights. Jim jokes that he'll get the bed when it's nice outside, while Joan will get the bed when it rains. They flip a coin, and Jim makes sure she wins, so she gets the room. Jim sneaks out that night to return back to his real home for the sole purposes of training for his new job as a butler. He himself has a butler named Jennings, and Jim follows everything that Jennings does, including greeting him at the door when he arrives. Jennings thinks that Jim is getting ready for a masquerade party, so he plays along, which is fun to watch. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Jennings. Anything new? I, um, I was worried about you, sir. Mr. and Mrs. Hobart were here for dinner, but when you failed to appear, how am I doing? If I may say so, sir, a little clumsy, sir. The outstanding characteristic of a butler is unobtrusiveness, and your presence, sir, was very apparent when you relieved me of the right sleeve. But there are butlers in service who do worse than you, sir. That's all I want to know. Yes, sir. Any more tips on what the well-mannered butler should do? Well, sir, it's mostly a matter of exercising good judgment, except no matter what you think, you never say it. Oh, that's important. You never say what you think, but you do think what you say. Well put, sir. Then too, sir, you must know your man. You must know the master of the house like a book. Most times, sir, you'll find it a very uninteresting and uninspiring book, but it's all part of the job, sir. Even though your instincts, your background, your impulses are finer, you must always make him think he is right. Absolutely right, sir. You must give him the impression you are hanging on every word he says, even though it is drivel, sir. Oh, is, um, is that what you do? Why, yes, sir. Uh, no, sir. It's all right, Jennings, don't worry. It's all off the record. Uh, would you like to have your messages, sir? There have been a number of inquiries, uh, telephones. Tell them all I've gone fishing. Your secretary has been calling, sir. Fishing. Miss Fletcher is constantly inquiring, sir. Fishing. Fishing where, sir? You don't know. It's miles away from here. Another world. I'm fishing for something I've been missing. Fishing for a certain sort of happiness. Yes, sir. But don't tell them that. Just say I've gone fishing for fish. Fishing for fish. Yes, sir. And pack a few of my things, will you, uh, Jennings? Just what I shall need for buttling. Yes, sir. And a whiskey and soda. Yes, sir. Mr. Buchanan, resident. Oh, yes, Miss Fletcher. Fishing. Um, I've just heard from him, miss. He's fishing. Yes, miss. Fishing for fish. The chemistry between Marshall and Arthur is terrific, and this is displayed by their first day on the job when they are washing dishes. Joan claims to have met the great Jim Buchanan, which amuses Jim, of course, because they've never met. Jim tells Joan that he went to Harvard and has an engineering degree, to which Joan replies, But what has it got him? Look at Jim Buchanan. He started with nothing and made something of himself. 
Jim doesn't take offense, but likes the simplicity of uh, his somewhat new life, and er, as it reminds him when he was young and had upstart dreams. These are waffles. That's what Mr. Rosini said. And if this is a sample of your cooking, I think we ought to ask for a raise. This is a sample of your appetite. We'll be lucky if we keep the job. How about giving me a hand with these dishes? All right, boss. I worked my way through college doing this. Next you'll be telling me you went to Yale. Smile when you say that. It was Harvard. From Harvard to dishwashing. You probably went through Harvard on a rubberneck bus. Is that so? I've got an engineer's degree. Yes, and what has it gotten you? Oh, I, I tinker about with automobiles. You should see my automotive designs. You and Mr. Chrysler and James Buchanan. And who? Buchanan. Don't tell me you've never heard of him. I've, um, I've heard of him. He didn't have any better start than you, but he made something of himself. Ah. What do you know about this Buchanan fellow? Oh, I know him well. You know James Buchanan well? You think you're the only man I've ever met? How did you, um, come to meet Buchanan? <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> I would. Tell me, how was it you ever let him get engaged to this girl? Well, that was a mistake because he's just my type. Your type? Mm-hmm. I always heard he was fat and forty with a wart on his nose. Well, there's nothing the matter with his millions. Is money the only thing that really matters to you? Not everything, but it does help. Just, um, how much would you be satisfied with? Oh, enough to pay the butcher and the baker and keep love from flying out the window. Mm -hmm. That's how much? Well, I'd settle for uh, five million. Would you take one million if the right man came with it? I'll tell you what I'll do. Make it two and I'll take a chance. No, no. One million's all you can have. Go on, give her the two million. What can you lose? And after you do that, big shot, the boss wants you to bring out the car. That's cooking, Sherry. I know, but it'll have to do. I've got to get up nerve to receive the guests. Just who's coming, do you know? Four extra, that's all he told me. Will you come in, sir? May I take your hat, sir? What name shall I say, sir? Very good, sir. What are you doing? Rehearsing, madam. There's the front door. Wish me luck. As it turns out, Rosini was a bootlegger during Prohibition and he made a fortune. But now that liquor is legal again, he needs to find another racket to partake in. Flash is suspicious of Jim and Joan as he notices that Jim always sleeps on the porch. And since they are essentially a gangsters of sorts, they are overly cautious. So Rosini tries to make a pass on Joan, and Jim walks in on him. Jim wants them to quit the job, but Joan wants to keep the well-paying gig, knowing that jobs are hard to come by. So even though Joan did not like Rosini's pass at her, she knows that she can keep him at bay. Jim obviously is starting to have feelings for her, and doesn't want her to have to deal with Rosini's passes. So of note, it's pretty obvious that Evelyn is only marrying Jim for his money and has another guy on the side. 
Jim doesn't know about the other guy, but this is a key plot point as it kind of allows him to have feelings for Joan and the viewer can sort of buy into it. It's a movie after all. Rosini doesn't want Joan to quit because he loves her cooking, so he agrees to behave. Joan, in the meantime, makes up stories about knowing Jim Buchanan and how they were an item early in life. Jim, of course, is amused by these tales from Joan. In his off hours, Jim still visits his office, and one night he is followed by Flash, who sees Jim take something from the Buchanan office. What Jim took from the office was his new car prototype that was rejected by the board of directors. The reason is to show Joan that he is just as talented as the quote-unquote real Jim Buchanan to impress Joan, as Joan doesn't believe that he studied to be an engineer. Joan loves the designs and is very impressed, and her views of Jim start to change a bit, though you can tell that she kind of liked him before this. But in the meantime, Flash informs Rosini that Jim broke into the Buchanan office. And by the way, Flash's voice is just awesome. It's very of the time, but that's why it's great. Well, Rosini instructs Flash to continue watching Jim. Jim has informed his colleague that he's on a fishing vacation, which allows him to be a butler. <laughs> but unbeknownst to him, Joan has taken his new prototype to a competing car manufacturer called Atlas to pitch them on this new model. However, the head of Atlas can tell from the design and the initials on the drawing that JB must be James Buchanan and that Joan must be a thief who stole the designs to make some quick cash. You gotta remember, this is a screwball comedy. And Joan is arrested under suspicion of stealing Buchanan's designs. Joan won't admit where she got the designs from in order to protect Jim. Jim is supposed to meet Joan for lunch and she doesn't show because she's at the police station. So he thinks that she bailed out on him and he leaves her a note at the house that he's going away. Rosini ends up bailing Joan out of jail. Rosini shows Joan the letter which basically tells Joan that Jim isn't who she thinks he is and that he must go away. Of course, this is all just a merry mix-up as Joan now thinks Jim is a thief and must have stolen the designs after all, which devastates her. Joan continues to work as Rosini's cook, and he continues to make a play for her, but she's not interested. Rosini isn't as aggressive as before, and he offers to marry her, but she still turns him down. She's still hung up on Jim. So then Flash finds the most recent newspaper and sees a picture of Jim listed as Buchanan on the front page, and it's the day of the wedding with him and Evelyn. So Rosini is infuriated that he was conned and decides to kidnap and or kill Buchanan to get revenge and to prove to Joan that he loves her, meaning Rosini. Joan finds out as well, thinking that Jim was just making a joke out of her the whole time, which infuriates her. However, once Joan finds out that Rosini is going to rub out Jim, she panics because, after all, she still loves him. So, what happens? Well, I'm sure you can guess if you've seen enough romantic comedies or classic screwball comedies, but again, it's fun and it's a fitting ending. These types of movies are really fun because they're quick, they're never boring. So, if you have Turner Classic Movies, give it a shot. If you think you can find the entire movie on YouTube, look for it there as well. But again, as I said before, many people haven't seen this type of movie. I mean, it's back in the 30s. The fact that I've even seen this movie is kind of crazy, but... That's what I'm. I love screwball comedies from the '30s, and again, they're quick. It's it's no, pretty much no longer than watching a TV episode. So if you like what you heard, I will tack on at the end where there's a radio adaptation of "If You Can Cook" with Herbert Marshall as the main character, and then as Rosini, you get Humphrey Bogart. How cool is that? So I'll put tack that on at the end, and then next week I'll be back with yet another very random movie from my DVD collection. Alice Faye, Herbert Marshall. Humphrey Bogart. The Gulf Screen Guild Theater. 
your host, the director of the star's own theater, Roger Pryor. Good evening, everyone. Your neighborhood good Gulf dealer in the Gulf Oil Companies welcome you to the Gulf Screen Guild Theater. There's standing room only in the Gulf Theater tonight. Hundreds of fans and motion picture people, too, have thronged here to the Gulf Theater in the heart of Hollywood to see one of the brightest comedies of recent years, If You Could Only Cook. The stars, three of Hollywood's greatest, Alice Faye, Herbert Marshall, and Humphrey Bogart. The music, as usual, will be by Oscar Bradley's Gulf Orchestra, with Frank Tours conducting. With just a moment before our curtain rises and our play begins. Just time enough for me to mention that for years, America has led the world as a great nation of automobile owners. Millions upon millions of private cars and thousands of miles of good roads have made this country more and more travel-minded. Now, with the completion yesterday of the greatest flight of private planes in all history, America proves that she can become supreme on the airways as well as on the highways. A great flight of more than 1,200 light planes has just been made. An amazing cross-country tour, totaling more than 3 million miles in all, and without a casualty. This tour, along the famous four Gulf Airways to Florida, sponsored by the Gulf Oil Companies and directed by Gulf's Major Al Williams, is a great tribute to the skill of the individual pilots and to the high quality of the Gulf gasolines and Gulf motor oils used exclusively for this trip. Thus, once again, the same Gulf quality that you get when you stop your car at the sign of the Gulf Orange Disc has helped make another first in the history of transportation. <laughs> that applause you hear, ladies and gentlemen, is for Alice Kay, Herbert Marshall, and Humphrey Bogart, who are just entering our Gulf Theater stage. They step to the microphones, and we present If You Could Only Cook with Herbert Marshall as Jim Buchanan, a somewhat harassed automobile executive, Alice Fay as Joan Masters, a young lady looking for a job, and Humphrey Bogart as the big-time racketeer Dan Nolan. I'll step into the role of his henchman, Flash. Here's the cue to the orchestra, and the show is on. Buchanan Automobile Company. Mr. Buchanan, one moment, please. I'll connect you with the secretary. This is Buchanan's office. I'm sorry he isn't in. Who? Oh, Miss Fletcher. But he isn't in, Miss Fletcher. Sure, I know he's going to marry you next week, but until then, he's his own boss, isn't he? Look, he erupted out of a director's meeting half an hour ago. Well, you might reach him by carrier pigeon. You see, every time he gets upset, he takes himself for a walk in the park. What's that, Miss Fletcher? How do I know what's wrong? Go away, pigeons. Shoo, go on. I haven't any peanuts. Go away. Make yourself a nice pigeon nest and sit in it. You know, you birds are just as stubborn as my board of directors. Only you sound a little more intelligent. You're welcome. All right, since you insist upon this board meeting, I'll tell you what I think of each one of you. You, Flanagan. I was designing automobiles while you were still selling insurance. And you, Mr. Collins. You're still living in the day when a buggy whip was standard equipment on every horseless carriage. Mr. Lannan, you're a fool. Brown, you're an idiot. Jones, you're an income poop. You, uh, you forgot the little moth-eaten pigeon here on the end. Huh? Who? 
Oh, I beg your pardon. I didn't know there was anybody else on the bench. Don't mind me. If you want to tell these pigeons off, go right ahead. I really haven't... Well, I have nothing against pigeons. I know. You've lost your job and you're mad at the world. Isn't that right? Here. Better look this over. Look, uh, look whatever. The want ads. Help wanted mail. Oh. Well, you see, I, uh, I don't really want... Oh, you'll never find anything if you don't look. You don't want to go on relief, do you? Well, I'd like to avoid that as long as possible. What kind of work do you do? Oh, typist, secretary. What's your particular line? Automobiles. Grease monkey, huh? <laughs> Bet you look cute in a uniform. Well, see anything in the paper you like? Mm, no, there's nothing that really appeals to me. Well, when you've been out of a job as long as I have, you won't be so particular. Gee. I wish I was a couple. A uh, couple of what? People. The only good ads are for couples. Here. Here, just look at this one. Yeah, they're right here. Cook and butler, 175 a month. Wow. Now, if you could only cook. But I can. I'm a marvelous cook. Say, wait a minute. Can you butler? Butler? Yeah, yeah, you know. You know, very good, sir. Dinner is served, madame. You cook, sir. Well, there's nothing difficult about that. Well, then, what are we waiting for? Come on. No, wait a minute. No, not so fast. Look, it's a job, isn't it? Yeah, I know, but we're, we're not a couple. Well, that is, we are a couple, but not, not in a legal sense. Anyway, I haven't said I'd do it. But you have to well, do it's it. fantastic. I'd, I'd like to talk it over. Oh, save your talk for the interview. The chance of a lifetime for both of us. Wait till I look up the address. But look, I don't even know you. We right here. Can't here it is, here like... it is, here it is. Apply to D.F. Nolan. Nolan Manor, Longhaven. Come on, let's go. Now, wait a... Nolan. Did you say D.F. Nolan? Uh-huh. Why, my dear girl, Nolan's the biggest racketeer in the city. I wouldn't care if he had six heads. He's still paying 175 a month. Come on, come on, what do you say? Wait. I'll take it up with my board of directors. What do you say, Mr. Fanagan? And you, Mr. Collins? No, you think I shouldn't go, eh? Well, you can all go jump in the lake. You mean... You mean we're going after that job? You bet we are. And let's hurry before some other couple beats us to it. Okay, Flash, start running them in. Show me the next couple. Okay, boss. Quiet! Ah, uh, wait your turn, wait your turn. Hey, uh, hey, you in the front, uh, come on in. Hey, Ben, thank you. Uh, never mind tanking him. Let me see what you can do on that stove. Yeah? What's the recipe of your Bernays sauce? How much garlic do you use? Garlic? In this sauce, Ben, use no garlic, Mr. Nolan. No I garlic? Use... No garlic. Get out, go on, <laughs> Peter. You want the you no garlic. <laughs> Send in the next one, Flash. Okay, Frenchie, you're next. Uh, hey, come on, tell the boss what you can do with garlic. Ah, the garlic, Monsieur Nolan, huh? Ah, you like garlic, huh? Oh, oui. It is the perfume of the epicure. Ah, gee. Gee, when you say it like that, it sounds good, too. Uh, well, you take a medium-sized piece like this, drop it into the sauce. So... What? What? Did you hear that flash? He drops it into the sauce. Get out, get out before I throw you out. On your way, Pixie, on your way. Uh, here's the next couple, boss. Uh, Butler and Cook. The guy seems to know his onions, but you better ask the dame about her garlic. Oh, come here, here, sister. Now, uh, how much garlic do you use in Bernays sauce? Garlic, Mr. Noah? Well, uh... Well? Well, uh... 
In this particular sauce, you want only the ghost of the shadow of the flavor of garlic. Ah, the ghost of the shadow. Mm -hmm. The garlic should be suspended between thumb and forefinger above the saucepan and gently wafted back and forth like this. Ah, the ghost of a shadow wafted back and forth. (laughs) There. Now taste that, Mr. Nolan. Mm. Oh, baby, baby, the job is yours. Honest? Sure, say, what's your name? Joan. Okay, and how about your old man? My name is James, sir. Um... James Burns. Swell, swell. I always wanted a butler named James. Uh, wait, wait a minute, boss. Now, what's the matter, Flash? Well, if I'm going to bodyguard you, i got to ask these a couple of questions. Ah, oh, you and your sense of duty. Hey, uh, you two got references? 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 Uh, well, you see, sir, unfortunately, our trunks were lost. Yeah, they, they, they fell off the boat. What boat? Well, what difference did it make what boat? They fell off the boat. They're hired. Now, wait a minute, boss. i got a right to know what boat. Of course, it, it was... Uh... It was the Mauritania. There, there. You see, Flash? Now, that's enough questions. Take them upstairs and show them where they bunk. I'm going to lap up the rest of this sauce. Ah, the ghost of the shadow. Mr. Flash, you don't mean there's only one bedroom? Well, sure, there's only the two of you, ain't there? Don't tell me you've got a flock of kids. No, 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 there's... Just the two of us. Well, then what do you expect? Oh, I suppose where you worked before, you had a whole suite, huh, Toots? Hey, 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 that's good. Toots suite. <laughs> Very funny. Good night, sir. You, you don't get it. I said uh, whole, whole suite, Toots. Toots suite, huh? <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night, sir. Uh, okay. The boss wants his breakfast at eight. That's the trouble with these servants. They ain't got no sense to... Well, Joan, it was nice while it lasted anyway. What do you mean? Well, I mean, obviously, we can't stay in the same room. Oh, I, I know we can't. But there's a balcony right outside that door. We'll take turns. One of us sleeps in here, and then the other one... Gets pneumonia, hmm? <laughs> All right, give me the blanket. Oh, Jim, you aren't angry. Angry? Why, I'm as happy as a bird. And I probably feel like one sleeping on the balcony. Well, I, I know I rushed into this thing, and I hope you won't be sorry. You see, things have been going so badly for me, I... I just had to do something. No job, no money. Honestly, I was desperate. Why, you poor. Uh, I guess we better not talk about it tonight. But I I do want you to know how I feel. Well, here's your blanket. Thanks. I, uh... Well, good night, uh... Mrs. Burns? (laughs) Sounds funny, doesn't it? Good night, Mr. Burns. Oh, you, uh... You won't have to lock that door. Oh, thank you. Well, good night. Well, I I hope it'll be cozy for you. What was that? I said I uh, I hope it won't be too cold for you. Oh, oh. Well, uh, good night. <laughs> good night. Well, well uh, good night. Good night. <laughs> Burns all settled, Flash? Yeah, but, boss, I tell you, there's something phony about them two. Ah, you're too suspicious. Boy, what a cook. I'll lay you 6'2", and even right now, that guy's a G-man. Yeah, well, since when does a G-man travel around with a dame? She could be a G-woman, couldn't she? (laughs) 
Now, listen, Flash, if there's anything phony with either one of them, they ain't going to live to talk about it. Now, stop worrying. Okay, okay. Oh, but say, I just thought of something. They said they came over this morning on the Mauritania, didn't they? Well, so what? So the Mauritania happens to be a troop transport now. Well, so what? So if they was on the Mauritania, they ain't a cook and a butler. They're a couple of English soldiers in Egypt. <laughs> Okay, okay, just keep your eye on them. Just keep your eye on them, that's all, and tell the boys not to open up when they're around. I still ain't gonna lose a cook like that. Hey, 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 look out the window. Oh, what is it, boss? Look, up there on the sleeping porch. Who's that guy with the blanket? Well, it ain't no Indian. <laughs> it's that guy, James. I told you something was phony. He's gonna sleep out on the porch. Now, put that gun away, will you? Now, you see? Supposed to be married, huh? And she's sleeping in a bedroom, and he's sleeping on the porch. Now, what do you think of your friend, the G-Man? I think he's a dope. Tonight's play here in the Gulf Curtain. The Gulf Curtain will rise immediately after our usual brief intermission. While we're waiting, we'd like to debunk some of the things you've been hearing lately and give you the straight-from-the-shoulder facts. All right, bud. You know, folks, these days you hear a great deal about quick starting for your automobile. And a lot of the things you hear make quick starting seem like something magical and mysterious. But it's not at all. Just remember this. Quick starting depends primarily on two things. Your motor oil and your gasoline. When you step on the starter, your motor oil can either help your motor turn over or hinder it. And your gasoline will either fire immediately or it won't. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. And that is why we urge you to use Gulf's quick-starting team, Gulf Pride Motor Oil and Gulf No-Knox Gasoline. Gulf Pride Motor Oil because it's free-flowing, therefore helps your motor turn over even in the coldest weather. And Gulf No-Knox Gasoline because it fires in a flash, even in icy cold cylinders. Moreover... Gulf Pride Motor Oil and Gulf Nonox give you a smooth, quiet-running motor. So if you want a quick starting, stop at the sign of the Gulf Orange Disc for Gulf Pride Motor Oil and Gulf Nonox Gasoline. It's a week later. We find our four friends pretty much as we left them, only more so. Nolan is crazy about Jones cooking and is eating his head off. Flash still has his watchful eye and his suspicious leer, only more so. Joan is interested in her job, and Jim, Jim Buchanan, alias James Byrne, is interested in Joan, only more so. As our scene opens, Dan Nolan is at the dinner table still eating his head off. I'll have another generous helping of that stuff, sister. It's delicious. Oh, but Mr. Nolan, I've already filled your plate eight times. What do you mean, eight times? It was only seven. What do you think, I'm a pig? Very well, Mr. Nolan. You can have all you like. Do you mind if I go to the kitchen? I have some work to do. Okay, okay, but leave the bowl here. Thank you. Why, Jim, what do you think you're doing? I thought I'd wash the dishes so you'd have a little less work to do. Well, thanks. But since when do you wash dishes with a whisk broom? Huh? Well, I couldn't find anything else. It does a good job. You know, I've been watching you for the past week, and I don't think you've ever done any real work in your whole life. That's ridiculous. Where did you work last? Why, uh, the um, Buchanan Automobile Company. What were you? Shipping clerk? No, I was really very close to Mr. Buchanan. Bucky, I called him. Really? I suppose you could walk right into Jim's private office. 
Jim. You mean Bucky. No, oh, I, I used to call him Jim. Oh. You were very close to him, too, huh? Mm-hmm. I was his private secretary. He couldn't make a move without me. Really? Tell me more. Well, as a matter of fact, I'd still be with him. But, you know, his fiancée is very jealous. She certainly is. I mean, I've heard a lot of office gossip. But he writes me and begs me to come back. You see, he's really in love with me. Yes, I think he is. I mean, I can see that he couldn't help it. Oh, he's wonderful. So noble. So tender. So sweet. And, oh, so romantic. You're, um, you're dripping soap suds on the floor. Why, do you know he cried like a baby? He was so heartbroken. But I told him to be brave. It was probably for the best. Yes, things generally are. Oh, I guess it's fate. Evelyn Fletcher gets married tomorrow and gets James Buchanan. And when I get married someday, what'll I get? I don't know. What? Ah, probably get stuck with somebody like you. You sent for me, Mr. Nolan? Yeah, Joan, sit down. Sit down, I want to talk to you. Go on, sit down. Well, really, Mr. Nolan, I've got lamb chops in the oven and I... Ah, lamb chops. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but business before pleasure. Now, now, this is important. Is there something wrong with my cooking? No, 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 it's divine, it's divine, it's the nuts. <laughs> You're a swell cook and coming for me, that's something. Ah, thank you. Now, what I got to say is about that old man of yours. You know, James. Oh, has he done something wrong? He ain't doing right. Say, uh, you and him been married long? Well, uh, yes, quite some time now. Are you, are you happy? Oh, of course. Well, then how come he sleeps out on a porch? Answer me that. <laughs> well, uh, you see, he, he's a, he's a fresh air fiend. <laughs> that ain't what I call him. <laughs> Say, uh, come here, baby. Mr. Nolan. Mr. Hey, Nolan, please. Now look, look. Why don't you get no. rid of that dope? A beautiful doll like you ought to have buckets of diamonds Mr. and a couple of mink house coats and a pack of yachts. Oh, Mr. Nolan, my, my lamb chops. Ah, oh, lamb chops. Um, and then, now, now, look, Joan, I ain't so hard to take, am oh, Mr. I? Mr. Nolan, please stop that. Now, don't oh, you do now, that, come Mr. on Nolan. now, Johnny, come Mr. on. Mr. Nolan, if you please. Huh? Oh, uh, oh, hello, James. Perhaps you two would like me to be alone. Oh, <laughs> Jim, we were just... All right, Joan, you get upstairs and pack. Hey, now, look here, wise guy. Mr. Nolan, Joan and I are quitting. Jim. Oh, now, wait a minute, James. You don't want to fly off the handle. It's a fine thing when a married man can't trust his employer. Yeah, but I wasn't doing anything. Honest, I wasn't. I, I was only complimenting her lamb chops. <laughs> Go on, Joan. I said pack our things. Now, look, James, I don't care if you are a husband. You can't come between me and her cooking. Maybe I was a little rough, but... Let's not get excited over a little thing like that. Now, look, I'll double your salary, see, and I won't even talk to Joan anymore. Now, what do you say to that? Absolutely not. Well, think about it, Mr. Nolan. Oh, now, please, please, if you'll just stay, I'll, I'll be good. Honest, I will. And double the salary. Now, look, Joan, you're sure I'm not thinking of staying. Well, why not? There's nothing vicious about Nolan. Why... He's as harmless as a kitten. Yes, and you're catnip for him. <laughs> now, Jim, let's sit down a minute and discuss this like sensible human beings. There's nothing to discuss. Come on, let's get packed. But why? I don't see any reason for it. No reason. Do you think I can go on working for a man who makes passes at my wife? Your wife? Certainly. What kind of a husband do you think I am? Why, we're, we're not even married. Uh, oh, that's right. I seem to be forgetting that. Joan? Yes, Jim? Joan, I... 
Well, I don't know exactly how to say this. Yes, Jim. Well, what I mean is, what if this fellow James Buchanan, the one you said was in love with you, what if he were to come to you... Oh, he won't. No, but suppose he did. What if he decided that he couldn't marry Evelyn Fletcher tomorrow? He was too much in love with you. Oh, Jim Buchanan would never do a thing like that. What makes you think he wouldn't? Well, he's just not that sort of man. Jim told this Evelyn he'd marry her, and he will. He'd never back out on a deal. Well, but what if he knew he was madly in love with you? That he'd never be happy with the other girl. Well, he'd, he'd keep it to himself. That's because he's honorable and fine. That's what I loved about him. You don't know what you talked yourself into. Now, look, let's not talk about James Buchanan anymore. What was it you wanted to tell me, Jim? Not a thing, Joan. Not a single blessed thing. Flash, don't stand there with a dumb look on your pan. I'm asking a simple question. Where's my butler, where's my cook, and where's my breakfast? And I'm trying to tell you, boss... That James guy has took a run-out powder, your cook's crying all over the kitchen, and you ain't got no breakfast. Oh. Is that so? Well, is that so? Just wait till I talk to that cook. Hey, hey, you. Yes, Mr. Nolan. Oh, now, 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 now. Look, baby, nothing could be as tough as that. Oh, he left me. You mean for good? How do you know? He left me the most. Oh, well. Well, you never ought to marry him in the first place. You mean he led you astray? Why, the dirty rat. <laughs> One of them gigolos, huh? Oh, now, don't, don't cry, baby. Don't cry. He ain't worth it. Now, look, I still think you're a swell dish. And that deal is still open. Now, how'd you like to go on cooking for me for the rest of your life? How'd you like to be Mrs. Dan Nolan, huh? Oh, you don't, you don't really mean that, Mr. Nolan. It's only that your kind stomach's gotten the better of your good heart. <laughs> No, it ain't. No, it ain't. I've always dreamed of coming home after a hard day at the rackets. <laughs> and curling and curling up before the fire with a good cook. Oh, oh, you're very kind, but but I, I couldn't marry you. I get it. I get it. You let me down easy. You're still in love with that James mug, huh? He's not a mug. He's sweet. And he went to Harvard. Yeah, but look, I... Ah, oh, that ain't a skirt for you. Hey, Flash. Yeah, boss. Say, hey, who, who do you think's got his picture in this paper? Hey, look, Panty Way, stop reading Superman and listen to me. Oh, no. <laughs> no, this ain't Superman. No, no, it's James. James? Yeah. Well, you mean our James? Yeah, yeah, look. Look, he's getting married today to a society dame. Yeah, let me see that. Evelyn Fletcher and James Buchanan. You see, his name ain't even Boyne. Boy, does that boy me up. We'll be married today at the wedding chapel. Now, what'd I tell you? His name's Buchanan. Oh, it ain't. His name's Mud. Now, you get the boys, Flash, and tell him to meet me in half an hour. I'll show that guy he can't do this to the cook I love. Evelyn. Jim. Jim, you mustn't come in. You're not supposed to see me in my wedding dress until the ceremony. I've got to see you, Evelyn. I've got to talk to you. But, darling, there isn't time. There's the wedding march. Evelyn. Evelyn, I'm not going to let you make a mistake. Yes? Pardon me, it's time for the ceremony. We'll be right there, Reverend Tuttle. Thank you. Now, what do you mean you won't let me make a mistake? Well, well, I think you'll be very unhappy with me, Evelyn, and if you want to call off the wedding... Call off the wedding? Are you crazy? What about all my friends? What about all my bills? I, I mean, are you stark staring mad? Yes. 
I, I do hate to keep bothering you all the time, but, but the, the, the guests are becoming arrested. We'll be right out, Reverend Tuffle. Oh, thank you. Now, Mr. Buchanan, I'm waiting for an explanation. Now, look, Evelyn, you don't care anything about me. I know it. You know it. The whole town knows it. What's that got to do with it? Yes, come in! Excuse me, I do hate to keep annoying you this way, but the, the, the ceremony... Oh, oh, dear me, what's that? All right, all right, all right, everybody. Just stay put and you won't get hurt. Now, stand to one side, Grandpa. I beg your pardon. I'm Reverend Tuttle. Oh, well, stick around. Well, 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 if it ain't our little James. Hello, Nolan. What do you want? Get out of here. That's just what I'm doing, lady. Come on, James. I want to have a little talk but with you. But he can't go. He's getting married to me. Not I... on my time, he ain't. I... Come on, James. Move and move well, fast. I... You too, Reverend Tuttle. All right. Get going. By all means. You'll excuse us, Evelyn. Stop. Come back. You can't get away with this, James. You can't. It's a trick. I'll show you for free. You promise. I'll show for 50000 I'll show for 100000 I'll show for That's enough, Flash. <laughs> okay. Okay, now. Now, let's get this thing over. Joan, you take hold of James's mitt like Reverend Tuttle says. Mr. Nolan, I refuse to be the bride at a machine gun wedding. See here, Nolan, I'd like to ask you something. You don't ask nothing. You've been trifling with her heart and ruining her cooking. <laughs> now you're going to marry her. But who said I wanted to marry him? Well, you told me you loved him not two hours ago. She did? Did you say that about me? Sure, right in here in this room. Now, go ahead, Reverend, make it short. <clears throat> Do you, James Buchanan, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Buchanan? To... Did you say Buchanan? Sure, Jimmy Burns and James Buchanan I mean, are one uh, and the same guy. I mean to love, to honor, and... Buchanan? You're James Buchanan? And cherish, and will you please keep quiet? <laughs> yes, Buchanan, you know, the one you told me about. The one who's so sweet and understanding. As long as... Uh, Remember? I cried like a baby. I was so heartbroken. And you told me to be brave. I do. Oh, how could you? Please, please, I can't go on with all this disturbance. Keep talking, keep talking. Oh, oh, please, sir, there's no need for gunplay. Do you, Joan Masters, take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? Go away from me. Leave me alone. Joan, wait. You've got to listen to me. You said once you were in love with Jim Buchanan. To love, to honor. You said that already. Yes, but I have to say it to both of them. As long as you both shall live. And you were laughing at me all the time, getting a great kick out of kidding me alone. Well, do you take him for your lawfully wedded husband? She does. Joan, oh. darling. I love you enough for two men, Jim Burns and in, Jim Buchanan. In sickness Look, and... I've, got a, I've got a great solution. Why don't you commit bigamy? Marry both of us. In sickness and in health? I don't want to get married. I don't want to have anything to do with men. I don't want to marry anybody. Whom God has joined asunder, let no man put together. Oh, I mean... Uh... Joan, don't oh, you understand? Dear. I love you. Oh, Jim. I mean, whom God has put asunder. Oh, dear, what do I mean? You mean you pronounce a man and wife. Okay, now they're married. Now let's get back to the kitchen. I'm hungry. Ladies and gentlemen, was the Gulf Screen Guild Theater's production of If You Could Only Cook. From the applause, there's no doubt that the audience here in the theater loved it every bit as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And we're happy, too, that we were able to present Alice Fay, Herbert Marshall, and Humphrey Bogart in their first broadcast together. As you know, their performances, and the performances of all the stars who appear in the Gulf Theater, are donated. 
And in return, Gulf gives generously to the Motion Picture Relief Fund to help in the great work of building a home to provide for the workers in the picture industry who can no longer provide for themselves. Next week, the Gulf Screen Guild Theater brings you the show you've all been waiting for, that rip-snorting comedy western, Destry Rides Again, with Henry Fonda, Paulette Goddard, Walter Brennan, and Lloyd Nolan. So be sure to tune in next Sunday night at the same time when the Gulf Screen Guild Theater presents Paulette Goddard, Henry Fonda, Lloyd Nolan, and Walter Brennan in Destry Rides Again, with music by Oscar Bradley's Gulf Orchestra, with Frank Tours conducting. Until then, this is Roger Pryor saying good night, everyone, for your neighborhood good golf dealer. Herbert Marshall may currently be seen in Warner Brothers' The Letter. Alice Bay has just completed Road to Rio at 20th Century Fox. Humphrey Bogart's latest for Warners is High Sierra. But he's speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have T-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories T-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender. You can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to TeePublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own T-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the Antolacahala. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. 
We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said, my second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories, and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> This is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass, guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.